0: Praise the Lord, everybody. So great to be back in the house of the Lord this morning. And more than anything, so great to feel the presence of God, the way we feel him here today. Amen. We live in a world where there's such a lack of clarity, such a lack of direction and purpose. And if we're not careful, that will infiltrate even the minds and the hearts of the people of God. And I find... Even in church nowadays that many of us struggle with just a lack of focus, a lack of purpose, a lack of clarity, where I'm going, why I'm here, what God wants me to do. But I want to preach something here this morning that God first gave me a while back that I've preached to myself before I preach to anybody. And I believe this is an absolute key to unlocking your purpose and unlocking the plan that God has for your life. I like what I feel in this house today. Something's going to happen, my God. God's going to speak to somebody in this house today. God's going to give somebody clarity and understanding in this house today. God's going to baptize somebody with a renewed sense of purpose and destiny. It's going to happen in this house this morning. I want to give honor to Pastor and Sister Hughes, the leadership here, this great church. And it's just an honor to be back here this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'll be reading from Daniel chapter one, verses three through seven. Familiar passage of scripture that relays for us what happened to Daniel and the boys that we commonly refer to as the three Hebrew boys amongst others. But scriptures that relate to us what happened to these young men when they found themselves in captivity in Babylon. The first things that happened to them in captivity. The Bible says Daniel chapter one verse three And the king spake unto Aspenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge, and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat And of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. Notice that one of the first things that the enemy did once these men found themselves in a strange land, was he attempted to change their names, change their identities. I want to preach here for the next few minutes on the simple subject, identifying yourself in a strange land. Identifying yourself in a strange land. I've come to believe that this is one of the absolute keys to being able to be the man or the woman that God wants you to be and do the things that God wants you to do, identifying yourself in a strange land. Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you for your power, your presence. We thank you for your anointing that we feel in this house here this morning. I ask you now, God, for these next few minutes, anoint my mind. Give me your words to speak to the hearts and minds of your people, God. Right now, in the name of Jesus, we bind every spiritual hindrance, We bind every spiritual obstacle, God. Loose your anointing. Loose your power. Where your spirit is, there's liberty. Where your spirit is, there's victory. Where your spirit is, there are breakthroughs. Where your spirit is, there's lifting, God. Let your spirit saturate this house from front to back, God. Let this word be a living word that will take root in our hearts and produce life in the days and weeks and months to come. And we'll be careful to give your name the praise. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen like what I feel in this house today you may be seated you may be seated as apostolics and if you're a visitor today I hope you learn what that means but as apostolics we as a group we talk a lot about knowing who Jesus is and we place a great deal of emphasis on the importance of the identity of Jesus Christ and the significance of an, of an understanding of the identity of Jesus Christ. And I believe we do a great job That's something that uh, I believe we can't overstate the importance of the identity of Jesus Christ and how important it is that we have a firm understanding of the significance of knowing who Jesus is. And we do a great job of that in apostolic circles, but I'm convinced that where we fall woefully short many times is that we do a great job at understanding the significance of the identity of Jesus Christ. But many times we fall short when it comes to understanding who we are in Jesus Christ and the identity that we take on as a child of Jesus Christ. And I've come to tell you here this morning that there's no doubt in my mind that God desires to do great and mighty things in this church and that God desires to do great and mighty things within the people of this church. But hear me when I say that in order for God to use you the way he wants to use you, you have to first be established in yourself who you are in Jesus Christ. And hear me when I say this morning, the enemy doesn't want you to know who you already are in Jesus Christ. The enemy doesn't want you to know what you already possess as a child of God. The problem we face is that much like these Hebrew boys we read about, you and I find ourselves as pilgrims and strangers in a strange land. And, Pastor, it seems like maybe some generations ago that we did a little bit of a better job reminding ourselves that we are in fact pilgrims and strangers. We would sing songs on a weekly basis like, this world is not my home, I'm I'm just passing through, or I'm a pilgrim, I'm a stranger traveling through this weary land. But, but it seems like we did a little bit of a better job reminding ourselves that in many ways we look like other people, and in many ways we live like other people, but there's something different about us. There's something you might not always be able to see, but there's something that separates me i'm in this world but i'm not of this world i'm in this world but this world is not my own i'm in this world but there's something that separates me and there's something that makes me different but being in a strange land it sets the stage for identity crises a battle identity crisis over who you're going to be and what you're going to do because every strange land has its own criteria of success Every strange land has its own definition of failure. And every strange land has its own messages as to what should be the number one priorities in your life and what should be the primary goals of your life and what constitutes a life well-lived and what constitutes a life worth living. And we have all of these messages that bombard our mind. And if we're not careful, we end up with this battle in our mind and in our hearts over what we're going to be and and, and how we're going to live our lives and, and what the number one priorities of our lives are going to be. But I pray that God plant something on the inside of somebody in this service, where you say, "I'm going to be what the Word of God says I can be, and I'm going to do what the Word of God says I can do." And if the Bible says something makes me a success, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. If the Bible says that something ought to be the focal point of my life, I'm going to live according to the Word of God. Hear me when I say: If you're going to be what God wants you to be, and if you're going to do what God wants you to do, you have to first be established in who. You you are in Jesus Christ, and you've got to have the confidence to hold on to that identity. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what anybody else plans. I'm going to be what God wants me to be. Hear me when I say that God believes in establishing identity and clearly defining everything he creates. In short, if God created it, God created it with both a purpose and and an identity. And there's an interesting relationship between purpose and identity. Right from the beginning, the creation episode in Genesis, we see that when God created the heavens and the earth, his first observation was that the earth was without form. The earth had no identity and the earth was void. The earth was empty. And God saw this lack of purpose God saw this lack of identity, and God was moved to change the condition of the world, and then we see an interesting pattern begin to take place, because God begins to create things, and when God creates these things, he creates them to accomplish specific purposes, and then it was God himself who began to immediately identify the things that he created, so the Bible says it was God that called the light day, and the darkness night, and it was God that called the firmament the heavens, and the waters the seas, and it was God who Commanded the plants and the trees to bear fruit, and he told the heavenly bodies to separate the day from the night and to mark the seasons. And then, when God created man, God gave man a specific purpose and a specific identity. And then, when God created woman, He gave her a specific purpose and a specific identity. He told Adam what to call her. I'm trying to establish in somebody's mind first and foremost that if God created it, God created it with a purpose and God created it with an identity. It doesn't matter what anybody else has said about your life. It doesn't matter what anybody else has said about what you'll be and what you'll never do. It doesn't matter what anybody else has said about what you've jeopardized and what you've thrown away. If God created it. God created it with a purpose and God created it with an identity. My God. But here's the key. Here's the key. That identity has to be established before the purpose can be fully realized. In order for the purpose to be fulfilled, that identity must be established. And here's the key, what I'm saying here today, because the enemy understands that the best way to block you from fulfilling your purpose is to somehow pervert your sense of identity. In short, what I'm saying is the enemy understands that the best way to keep you from being what God wants you to be And doing what God wants you to do is to somehow affect what you think and what you see when you look in the mirror. That's the best way to keep you on this side of your purpose and your destiny is to somehow affect what you see and what you think when you look in the mirror. You see, the enemy's been dealing with church folks for long enough where he knows that for most of us, there's nothing he can do that's going to change the way we see God that God has already done so much and we've seen so much that we'll always see God as mighty. We'll always see God as worthy. We'll always see God as able. We'll always see God as having power and dominion. But the enemy knows us well enough to know that he doesn't have to change the way we see God as long as he can affect the way that we see ourselves because we'll be just as powerless and we'll be just as paralyzed if we allow him to change the way we see ourselves. And the enemy would like nothing more than for you to walk around Life saying, I know that God is mighty, but I don't believe I'm mighty. I know that God is able, but I don't believe I'm able. I know that God has dominion, but I don't believe I have dominion. I know that God can change things, but I don't believe I can change things. But I want to preach something into somebody's spirit where you walk out of here saying, God is mighty, so I am mighty. God is able, so I am able. God has dominion, so I have dominion. God can do it, so I can do it. I can do all things. Jesus Christ that strengthens me. My God, 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 my God. God's going to unlock some things in somebody's spirit here today. God's calling somebody higher. God's calling somebody higher, but God had to first address the identity issues That he found in men like Gideon and Moses before he could use them the way that he had already preordained that he was gonna use them. He had a plan, he had a specific plan for their lives, but he had to first address the identity issues that he found in these men before he could use them the way he desired to use them. God had to build up their confidence and who they were before he could convince them of what they could really do because these were not great and mighty men in their own minds and according to the strange land that they lived in. The interesting thing about Gideon is that the name Gideon means mighty warrior. And so his whole entire life, everybody around him was calling him a mighty warrior. But hear me when I say, it doesn't matter what anybody else sees in you or says about you, if that's not how you see yourself, it doesn't matter how many times Pastor Hughes walks up to you and says, I see purpose. I see potential. I see that God has a plan for your life. As long as that's not how you see yourself, you'll never be able to be what God wants you to be my God. But not only were men calling him a mighty warrior, when the angel came from heaven, the angel called Gideon mighty warrior. And the angel said, Gideon, go in the strength that you already have and free Israel from the hands of its enemy. The angel is letting Gideon know how even heaven sees Gideon. Hear me when I say it doesn't matter even how heaven sees you. As long as that's not how you see yourself. The angel came, a flaming angel came from heaven and said, Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. Gideon, you have the strength that you need in order to do what God wants you to do. But Gideon's response was, it's not possible because my family is the least in the town and I'm the least in my family. Hear me when I say that an identity crisis will block the hands of heaven. An identity crisis will stop the hands of God in your life. The identity crisis will keep potential untapped and purpose unfulfilled. But I wish somebody would hear a voice from heaven right now speaking to somebody and telling you you've already got the strength that you need in order to begin to do the things i'm calling you to do you've already got the anointing that you need in order to begin to walk in the places i'm calling you to walk in but you have to overcome the identity issues and the identity crisis you find yourself in god supernaturally appeared to moses in a burning bush But even in the presence of the supernatural, Moses' response was, I can't speak. He had an identity issue. And God had to build up these men. Flaming angels and burning bushes were not enough. God had to build these men up and help them identify themselves the way he had already defined them. Because if the enemy can make you doubt who you are, by extension, you'll doubt what you can do. If he can make you doubt who you are. By extension, you'll doubt what you can become and what you can accomplish. I want you to understand this morning that I'm specifically and intentionally talking about identifying yourself and not defining yourself. Very intentional about that. I'm not preaching about defining yourself. You see, that's the challenge for the people of this world. They spend their entire lives trying to define themselves, trying to figure out who they are. It's a lifelong pursuit to try to figure out who they are and why they're here. Their entire life is an exercise in futility, but they're trying to to define themselves. But I'm so glad that as a child of God I understand that I'm not defined by the clothes I wear. I'm not defined by the car I drive. I'm not defined by the house I live in. I'm not defined by the place I work. I'm not defined by the degrees on my wall. I'm not defined by the money in my bank account. I'm not defined by my social status and my social standings. I'm not defined by my physical imperfections or perfections. I'm not defined by my illnesses or my physical limitations, but I'm defined by the word of God. When I became a child of God, the Bible says that old things are passed away, but it doesn't stop there. Behold, all things have become new. The word of God tells me who I am. And I'm preaching here today that the challenge is not to define yourself, but the challenge is to learn how to identify yourself the way the Word of God defines you because according to the Bible's definition of me old things are passed away and behold all things have become new according to the Bible's definition of me I am a chosen generation and a royal priesthood according to the Bible's definition of me I have the mind of Christ I have the power to be called a child of God I am above condemnation I am a friend of God I am a fellow heir with Christ Jesus my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. I have a clean heart and a right spirit. I am the head and not the tail. I have wisdom, righteousness, sanctification and redemption. I have become the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm no longer a slave, but I'm a child of the King. I've been set free in Christ Jesus. I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. I am chosen. I am holy. I am blameless before God. I am God's workmanship. I'm created to do good works. I'm a member of Christ's body, and I'm a partaker of his promise. I have confident access to God. I am significant. I am a minister of reconciliation for God. I am born of God, and the evil one cannot touch me. I don't have the spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. There is therefore now no condemnation in me. Every battle has already been won. Total victory has already been paid for. I've been sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I've been justified by his grace. And I'm already more than a conqueror. I am somebody. I am somebody. I am somebody. <laughs> my God, my God, my God, my God, my God, I am somebody. I am somebody. And I'm preaching to somebody here today. This is already established in heaven as your definition. When heaven looks at you, heaven sees everything that I just said. When heaven looks at you, heaven sees everything that I just said. But you've got to learn how to identify yourself the way the word of God says you are. I might not look like it, pastor. I might not feel like it. I might not deserve it. But I believe I am what the word of God says I am. I believe I can do what the word of God says I can do. My God, he out of God. My God. My God. My God. I've come to stir somebody up this morning. It's time to leave where you've been and go to where God is trying to take you. It's time to come out of chaos and confusion. It. And it's time to walk into clarity. It's time to walk into purpose. It's time to walk in apostolic dominion and apostolic authority. Yes, God. Yes, God. My God. My God, my God, my God, my God, a person with no sense of identity, a person with no sense of identity cannot be stable. You'll always be defined by the changing and shifting seasons in your life. You'll be defined by your circumstances, your temporary realities, the people and things in your life. I'm preaching here this morning that you better not allow this world to define you. You better not allow what other people say to define you. You better not allow your failures or your mistakes to define you. You better not allow the good times or the bad times to define you. But you've got to muster up the faith to be able to say, I am what the word of God says, I am. And I can do what the word of God says I can do. It's not about what I've deserved. It's not about what I've earned. But I am what the word of God says I am. And I can do what the word of God says I can do. You see, the devil knows that if he can make you forget who you are, only then is the door open for him to make you what he wants you to be. You have to first relinquish your identity in order to be open to being redefined by the hands of the enemy. And if you forget who you are, you'll put yourself in all kinds of positions you don't belong in. The prodigal son left his father's home. And the Bible says he joined himself to a citizen of a far country, a strange land. That's what I'm preaching about, being in a strange land. And in this strange land, he somehow forgot who he was and relinquished his identity. And he went from being a ruler, the son of a king, to the keeper of pigs. Because he forgot who he was. But the good news is the Bible says one day he came to himself. I don't know what triggered it. My God, I don't know what triggered it. But one day that boy woke up and looked around him and said, wait a minute, I'm bigger than this. Wait a minute, I'm better than this. I've got royal blood running through my veins. I wasn't born to be the keeper of pigs. Let me get up and go back to where I belong. I refuse to stay here one more day. I refuse to wallow in this situation one more month. Let me get up and go home to where I belong. When you realize who you are, there's some situations you won't put up with a day longer. There's some circumstances you won't stay in a minute longer. Let me walk back to where I belong. My God. I'm preaching that much like that prodigal son, you were defined by virtue of your birth. Your new birth gave you an identity. And just like the prodigal son and just like you, Daniel and the Hebrew boys were defined by their birth. The Bible says that these young men were sons, were children of the king. They had an identity. And the issue for them was not whether or not they could define themselves when they got to Babylon. Babylon. The issue was whether they could continue to identify themselves the way they had been defined by birth. Even in a strange land, even in an uncomfortable situation, even in a terrible condition in life, could they continue to identify themselves the way they were defined by birth? And the first thing the enemy did when they got to Babylon was to try to affect their sense of identity. He tried to affect the way they saw themselves. He tried to give them strange food and that had been offered to strange gods, and he tried to make them drink strange things and, and accept a strange, strange culture that defiled the God. That they served, and ultimately, he wanted to give them new names that made them forget about their heritage and their relationship with the God of Israel. Because hear me when I say that changing their names it was not a simple change of moniker. Because it wasn't just taking Tommy and calling him Billy, but each of these Hebrew names were significant. Each of these Hebrew names pertained to Jehovah God. The name Daniel means God is my judge. The name Hananiah means God is gracious. The name Mishael means who was like God and the name Azariah means God has helped and you got to understand the Babylonians had linguists who understood this tongue and they were not going to be making these declarations every time they would have called Daniel Daniel they would have been saying Jehovah is my judge and they were wanting to do something more than just change their name because when they gave them Babylonian names I don't believe it's any coincidence that all four Babylonian names pertain to pagan gods they took Daniel which means God is my judge, and they called him Belteshazzar, which means Beltas, protect the king. They took Hananiah, which means God is gracious, and they called him Shadrach, which means command of the moon god. They took Mishael, which means who was like God, and they called him Meshach, which means who is what Aku is, and they took Azariah, that means God has helped, and they called him Abednego, that means servant of Nebo. There's something deeper happening here that the enemy Is trying to do in their mind, in their psyche, and in their spirit. But there's something powerful about these four young men who made up their mind. You can call me whatever you want to call me. I know who I am. And it's no coincidence, Pastor, the same four young men who stood up from day one And said, everybody else might drink the strange drink. I'm not drinking it. Everybody else might eat the strange food. I'm not eating it. Those same four young men were out of all the other ones who were taken captive. Were the same four who refused to bow when everybody else was bowing. They refused to stop praying when everybody else stopped praying. Because they decided from day one, you can be what you want to be. You can accept what you want to accept. You can do what you want to do. But I know who I am, and my situation doesn't change it. My circumstances don't change it. From day one, I'm grabbing a hold of my identity, and the enemy understood the only way I can change them and make them Babylonian is to first make them forget who they are and why they're here. But There's something peculiar about the book of Daniel. We read about Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And first, the Bible begins by referring to these boys by those Hebrew names. And then a few times, the Bible gives both. It would say Daniel, whom they call Belteshazzar, and Hananiah, whom they call Shadrach, and so on and so forth. But pretty quickly in the book of Daniel, we no longer see the Hebrew boys referred to by their Hebrew names. They begin to be referred to by Shadrach. Meshach, and Abednego. So much so that whenever I do say Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, most of us don't even know who I'm talking about. We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it stood out to me one day. But then the mystery further deepened because it wasn't so with Daniel. A few times it said Daniel whom they called Belteshazzar. But then it would go right back to calling him Daniel. And never once does it refer to Daniel directly as Daniel. And all the way up to the last chapter in the book of Daniel, it says, so Daniel lifted up his eyes and prayed. So I begin, you got two mysteries here. I begin to wonder, Pastor, why is it that the Bible itself begins to refer to these three Hebrew boys by their pagan names? Or Babylon, and we call them by their pagan names. The Bible refers to them by their pagan names. But then what makes Daniel so different? Why does the Bible not refer to Daniel ever as Belteshazzar? And the answer came to me simply. But I believe profoundly somebody grab a hold of this. The answer very simply is because Daniel wrote the book. And Daniel wrote the book from his perspective. And so Daniel in Babylon was forced to call Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He was forced to call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. For so many years, that's what he was forced to call them. And so as an old man, when he sat down to write his life story, that was how he began to see them. Shadrach did this. Meshach did this. Abednego did this. That's what they make me call them. And that's how I began to see them. But even as an old man, there was a defiance. When Daniel sat down to write his life story, there was a defiance on the inside of Daniel that says, you might be able to make me call Hananiah Shadrach. You might be able to make me call Mishael Meshach. You might be able to make me call Azariah Abednego, but there's nothing you you can do to me that's ever going to make me call myself Belteshazzar. I can't speak for anybody else, but I've learned how to identify myself in a strange land. You can't beat me enough to make me call myself Belteshazzar. I might be an old man and nobody else might be calling me Daniel. Everybody else might be calling me Belteshazzar. But there was a defiance on the inside of Daniel, even as an old man, where he says, but I am still Daniel. But I am still the man that God says I am. I am still royalty. I am still the son of Hebrew royalty. I am what God says I am. My God, my God, you've got to learn how to be able to look beyond temporary realities. It was a reality. He was a slave in Babylon. It was a reality. It wasn't a figment of his imagination. It was his reality. He was in a bad situation. It was his reality. He was in a place that was confusing and uncomfortable, but he didn't even allow his reality to change his identity. My reality doesn't dictate who I am. My circumstances don't dictate who I am, but I am what God says I am. I want a defiance to grab Have a hold of somebody where you look beyond your situations. You look beyond your circumstances and you hear the voice of destiny. You hear the voice of purpose. You hear the voice of identity. My God. And there's something powerful. There's something powerful about not allowing your reality to change your identity. Because if you hold on to your reality for long enough, eventually your identity will line back up with that. Your reality will line back up with that identity because Daniel refused to be redefined. And in his mind, he was always royalty. It was only a matter of time before Daniel became a ruler once again in Babylon. His reality changed to line up with his identity. You hear what I'm saying? If he had allowed himself to become Belteshazzar, slave of Babylon, he never would have been Daniel, ruler of Babylon. And it was so powerful That when Babylon was overthrown by an enemy and the enemy came in and and killed all the leadership of Babylon, Daniel rose once again in the new kingdom and became a ruler again. There's something powerful about saying my temporary realities won't change who I am, but I'm going to stay who I am until my identity changes my temporary reality I might not feel like Daniel, but I'm still Daniel. I might not look like Daniel, but I'm still Daniel. My name tag might say Belteshazzar, slave of Babylon, but I am still what God says I am. There are some labels that's been placed in somebody's spirit. You're not wearing it on a name tag, but you've been labeled some things in your life. You've been labeled some things in your life. And there's some things that people have placed in your spirit. There's some things the enemy has placed in your spirit. There's some things your mistakes have placed in your spirit. And now you've taken on that label and you no longer believe that you can be the man that God says you can be. You no longer believe you can be the lady that God says you can be. But God sent me here to preach a defiance into somebody's spirit. I I am still Daniel. I am still royalty. I am still anointed. I am still chosen. I am still called by God. By God. Musicians can come. Somebody needs to rise above that thought. I know you can use so and so, but I don't believe you can use me. I know you can use Pastor. I don't believe you can use me. Somebody needs to rise above those limitations because you have a calling to fulfill. You have a purpose to fulfill. You can be great for God. You can be a vessel that God uses to change other people's lives. But you have to decide who you are. We say in closing that I'm talking to everybody here this morning, everybody from the oldest to the youngest. No matter your background, no matter your pedigree, no matter your life experiences, no matter your family, talking to everybody here. Josiah has become one of my favorite people in all the Bible. Josiah became king of Israel at eight years old. Josiah's grandfather was Manasseh. History records that Manasseh is one of those kings who really turned Israel away from God. It was Manasseh. Josiah's grandfather that turned the very temple into a place of idol worship. This is what the Bible says about Manasseh, Josiah's grandfather, in Second Kings 21-2. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, after the abominations of the heathens whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. Manasseh had a son, Josiah's father. His name was Ammon. And this is what the Bible says about Josiah's father, Ammon. In 2 Kings 21, 19, Ammon was 20 and 2 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned two years in Jerusalem. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh did. And he walked in all the way that his father walked in and served the idols that his father served and worshiped them. And so it's established in Josiah's bloodline who he should be and how he should live. His father was something that that his grandfather was. This was both nature and nurture. This was genetics and environment. It's how he was raised and who he was raised by that would dictate what Josiah should be. But this is what the Bible says about Josiah in 2 Kings 22.1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. In verse 2, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of David, his father, and turned not to the right hand or to the left. This eight year old's father's name was Ammon, his grandfather's name was Manasseh. But there was something in the heart of an eight year old boy that went back 12 generations and said, David is the father that I choose to be like I've never met him I don't know him but nobody can tell me who I have to be and how I have to live and how I have to identify myself not my family Not my background, not my environment, not my genetics, not my culture. Nobody can tell me what I can be and what I have to do. I choose to be like the father that I've never met. I don't know what it was that made him look up to David so much. But an eight-year-old boy understood I can make up my own mind. I can be the man that I desire to be. I can do the things that I desire to do in. And I can become what God wants me to become. We stand all over this building here today. God wants to break some people free. God wants to break some people free in this house today. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. It's time for somebody to rise above the identity issues. It's time to rise above the identity crises that plague your mind and keep you paralyzed where you are. It's time for somebody to release their faith and say, I might not feel like it. I might not look like it, but on this day, I dare to believe that I can be what God wants me to be. On this day, I dare to believe that I can walk in the dimensions that God wants me to walk in. On this day, I dare to believe that I can walk in apostolic authority and apostolic dominion. On this day, I dare to believe that I can walk in purpose and destiny and passion and power. On this day, I dare to believe that I can rise above my background. On this day, I dare to believe that I can rise above my failures and my mistakes. On this day, I dare to believe in the power of grace and mercy. On this day, if that's your heart's prayer, if that's your heart's prayer, why don't you make your way down to these altars? and find a place right now and say, God, let it be so. If that's your heart's cry, why don't you make your way down, grab the horns of the altar, and say, God, pour yourself out on me so I can be the man that you want me to be. Pour yourself out on me so I can be the lady that you want me to be. Pour yourself out on me so I can walk in power. Come on, come believing. Come believing. Come believing that you can rise up. Come believing that you can walk in purpose. Come believing that you can walk in destiny. Come believing. In the spirit of Daniel, grab a hold of you here today. I am still Daniel. I still got a purpose. I still got an identity. I still got a calling. I still got a destiny. I am not built to shatter. I am not what the world says I am. I am not what anybody else says I am. Come on, there's deliverance in this house. Somebody needs to break free. Somebody needs to break free. Somebody needs to break free. free. Don't stop short. Don't stop short. Don't stop short. Somebody go all the way today.